Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, hey, Growth Factor family, and welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Bart Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John Richards. I'm the pastor of Assimilation here at St. Mark, and I'm joined here by our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer Sr., and we are in the middle of a series discussing can things be black and white? We've been talking about uh, gray area issues. We've been dealing with alcohol. We've yep. talked about marijuana already. In this episode, we're going to talk about gambling. Gambling. Whether or not I can roll the dice. Can I roll the dice, Pastor B? That's a question, man. That's the question. <laughs> and we know that people have this question, and um, and that's because that is not always directly addressed in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Issues like this. But we do think that and believe that uh, scripture does give us guidance um, to discuss things like this in terms of gambling and whether or not it's an issue that's going to impact us as Christians. So we want to do what we've always done on the podcast. We want to discuss it from a historical perspective, give you all some biblical context around it, and then give you some takeaways to help you uh, make the best decision for you around this issue of gambling. Now, Pete. Um, I know you have taught about this before. I want to go ahead and get this out in the front end because some of your members, they like, oh, boy, they're about to talk about my lottery tickets. Right, right, right. And they're going to be like, okay, if I get to the end of this episode and I hit, are they going to tell me that it was wrong, one, and then, two, I don't need to give anything to the church? Listen, (laughs) if you hit, there's nothing wrong with that money. God, <laughs> money is neutral. <laughs> so give God his portion. Of, he said of all your increase. And so if you hit that Powerball, man, then come mm-hmm. on and, 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 and give it uh, to the Lord. Um, what, what we're going to see, mm-hmm. Pastor John, as with alcohol, as we discussed with marijuana in previous episodes, mm-hmm. we're really talking about an issue of conscience. Yeah. And... Uh, maturing believers um, are to look at these issues from the perspective of Christian conscience. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, in in everything, in all the ways that we um, that we think about um, generosity and giving, that kind of thing, um, conscience is the is the determining factor for all of that. Our Christian conscience, our spirit informed, spirit led Christian conscience. Um, mm-hmm. And that 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 can be, you know, anecdotally, <laughs> uh, there's a pastor in D.C. Uh, who I know well who built a uh, bought a uh, grocery store mm. building, um, gutted it, rehabbed it, and made it into their sanctuary and and facility for their church um, by going on the street, Pastor John, and making drug dealers tie. <laughs> this is the truth. I've seen this happen. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and of course, he would say, you've got to stop this foolishness. And he, many of them converted. Many of them came to faith. He mm-hmm. baptized many, many uh, of those persons. But that was one of the ways he financed the work of ministry. So wow. uh, um, I, I, I'm saying that to say, give, give God his portion right. uh, in every way yeah. uh, at all times. Yeah. Yeah. And we say that in jest, but we, we really do believe that um, being able to bless God's kingdom allows us to continue the ministry work that God has uh, given to us. And we do that in various outlets through our outreach ministry mm-hmm. and all the other things that we do here at St. Mark that really do uh, bless the world. Yeah. We, we locally, um, we have homeless community, a homeless community. That's our family. Some of them, sleep on our property. Uh, we feed them uh, most days of the week, uh, Monday through Thursday. I mean, we're uh, the things we do for our children, we're, we're really doing 
uh, ministry. And then we touched the world literally through missions, through uh, evangelism. Um, and so, you know, St. Mark is a St. Mark is a safe bet. Yeah. St. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is a safe bet. <laughs> Speaking of, right? let's talk about gambling. And I think it's probably important for us to define the word gambling. Mm-hmm. And gambling is wagering money or possessions. And here's the key phrase on chance events mm-hmm. in hopes of gaining more money or possessions. Now, I want to make a distinction between gambling and investing mm-hmm. because there's a difference between gambling and making an investment. So many of you all work for employers that give you an opportunity to contribute to a 401k. Right. Uh, 401ks are not gambling. They are an opportunity for you in, to invest based on market research and analysis. There's a science to mm-hmm. it. And it's distinct from gambling because gambling is actually really based on chance. Yeah. And, and Pastor John, you know, there is risk involved there in is. investment. There is some risk involved. And yeah. in that way, um, people who are pro-gambling have said, well, a money market account or anything of that nature where there's risk is also gambling. Um, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the yeah. if you put your money in your mattress under your mattress in a shoebox there's a risk that a fire could break out or a thief can break in. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're not saying that all risk is gambling. Um, what we are saying are those gains of chance, those, um, those, um, those events that, that are odds-based mm-hmm. um, that, that can become, uh, that be- can become uh, a part of um, an addictive, and I'm getting ahead of the conversation, an addictive mm-hmm. nature uh, within people, that that kind of thing. That's what we're talking about mm-hmm. um, in, in gambling. And so, you know, some people think they have a science for hitting the number. <laughs> <laughs> they have a science for sports betting, those kinds of right. things. But, but, but we want to distinguish between mm-hmm. um, that kind of investment mm-hmm. that is solid and, and stable, not sure, but solid and stable versus games of chance or incidents or events of chance. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, and we see that more frequently in casino games mm-hmm. and then lottery games based on state and multi-state lotteries. People mm-hmm. participate in those. So we wanted yeah. to make sure we made that distinction. And again, this isn't anything new. Yeah, and, Just and, like, and, and Pastor John, let me add this part too because, you know, office pools for – NCAA tournament or fantasy football, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Those are those are things of chance, and and but we're not uh, we're not trying to take all of the fun <laughs> out of your life. <laughs> we're not attacking those kinds of things right. that are that are done for camaraderie and and fellowship and friend that that kind of thing. We're that's that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because I have a fantasy football team. Right, I, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, and it's it's fun. It's mm-hmm. it's a fun thing, and we'll talk about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But uh, we really want to just dive into the history of gambling and talk about it from a historical perspective, because we've actually seen dice as early as the ancient Egyptians. Mm -hmm. The Syrians um, have had dice. They found some of those in some of their uh, archaeology discoveries. And they had these dice that were made of bronze, uh, with points of gold on them, so mm-hmm. they were they were them real dice, yeah, the real deal <laughs> yes, dice. Yeah. Um, but here's an interesting th- interesting fact: uh, the ancient folks would actually load their dice. Oh, now they, we got to unpack what loading they, your dice yeah, means. Yeah, yeah, that's putting a weight <laughs> on one side so that a certain number comes up all the time, or at least much more frequently than the other potential numbers or symbols on the die. That. Cheating in gambling has been happening since the ancient times. Listen, human depravity is not time-bound. Not, not, no, not new. Not, not new. Ever since Papa Adam and Mama Eve ate that fruit, humankind has been finding ways to violate one another in, in all kinds of ways. And in ancient cultures, uh, it happened It happened very much. Uh, that, that's, that's not new in any way. Let, yeah. me, let me find out they're running game in ancient culture. Man, That's come hilarious. On, come on, man. So uh, we also saw in the Middle East there was uh, animal bones that turned up in some of these discoveries, and it mirrors a, a modern-day game in the Arab culture that is similar to our dice games. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, many people who may be watching 
I don't know, P. Do you play dominoes? I play dominoes every now and again. Okay, every now and again. Okay, that's kind of a West Coast thing. My my wife loves dominoes. She's she loves it, and they literally call them bones. Yep. And there's a historical reason for that. They were made of animal bones. Yes. Indeed. So they would take the animal bones and make these dominoes. So when y'all calling those bones, the ancient folks, they, they would, come from. They had the bone yard, just like y'all had the bone yard. So and, and Pastor John, one of the one of the things that I want us to really grasp, um, and this is hearkening back to earlier episodes. Uh, so um, those games of chance, um, bones, die, were also moving forward. They became things that predicted yeah. <laughs> the future, so to speak, or people tried to use to predict the future. Yep. Uh, and so many of the things, and we talked about this with tarot cards, it started off as a game. Tarot cards was like Uno. <laughs> and now it's considered this way to divine the future and, and, and to, to, to direct your life and your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what happened with these animal bones in a lot of spaces wow. and, and, and even died. That's where you get the magic eight ball from that you shook up mm. and, you know, said, does, does she love me or does he love me? And then it said, not a chance in mm. the little liquid, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, mm. so these, these things that started as games began to sometimes come forward and become things much more sinister. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it interesting that Oftentimes, the things that are meant to entertain us become our idols. Yes. It's, a, it's an unfortunate truth. And, and we can talk about that with celebrity culture. We, we, we can talk about that with, um, you know, the, the bane of my existence, which is reality TV, which is not reality <laughs> at all. Um, we, it starts off as entertainment, but then people pick sides and they destroy lives behind things that were intended to, be, to entertain that become idols, that become... Um, more serious than they should ever be uh, uh, taken. So uh, that, that's, that's a, the, the greatest thing that we can do as believers in every way is to filter things in terms of their importance in the light of eternity, yeah. <laughs> in the light of how Christ has come and given us new life in him through his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, the fact that he's coming back again. And in the words of the old folks, we're living to live again. When we make our lives and our decisions based on eternity, then we can properly mm. get a perspective on these minor things and not make them so much more major than they really are. Yeah. And P, it really wouldn't be a growth factor episode if we didn't talk about European appropriation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And we right. see this happen with the Crusades mm-hmm. uh, that happened where English folks went over to Arabian countries and saw these Arabian stallions. Mm-hmm. And they said, wait, it'd be a great idea if we bought these back mm-hmm. and bred them with our our horses and made thoroughbreds. And this is exactly how horse racing it came is. to be. Yep. They bred these stallions with their horses and they decided they were going to start betting on horse races. And that's how it became popular. Pastor John, I, I preach for um, a great church in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Consolidated Baptist Church, Pastor, Pastor Richard Gaines, and uh, one of my uh, doctoral students and little brothers is Micah Gaines, his son. Mm-hmm. And I preach for them in Lexington, and that's actually where the ho- these horses are now bred. Yeah. Um, people think of the of, of the Kentucky Derby, they think of Louisville. Um, they, they hear the, these names of these kinds of horses, but they're actually bred in Lexington, and there are horses that are sold for a million, two million, five million dollars. Uh, based on their pedigree hmm. because of this appropriation and how it's moved forward in history. And it is an incredible, you know, multi-million dollar, probably in the billions of dollars industry, just breeding horses. Hmm. Um, and it, and again, it creates a, a sense of importance. It, 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 hmm. it, entire economies are built around this idea, Pimlico in Maryland, there are entire economies built around the chance that this horse is mm. faster than that horse. Wow. Yeah. And unfortunately, they carried that ideology into the slave trade. Absolutely. Absolutely. The selective breeding mm. of, of um, the biggest and the strongest or the brightest, yeah. uh, they, they treated human beings like that kind of 
that kind of property, like a horse, like people selectively bred dogs, like wow. you selectively breed a cow to get a certain kind of meat and pig to get a certain kind. They bred human beings like mm. that, thinking they would get a certain kind of slave. Um, but certainly God's work of liberation, mm. um, God's uh, work of salvation of the soul and liberation of the of the person mm. um, proves that uh, God's divine diaspora of humanity, the, the fact that God wanted variety in the human family, uh, proved that to be not successful, thanks, thanks be to God. Yeah, yeah, so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, we also saw the predecessor of our modern casinos mm -hmm. happen almost by accident mm -hmm. in the 17th century. Mm -hmm. A mathematician, French mathematician, his name's Pascal. He wasn't really trying to invent a game. He actually had this machine called a perpetual motion machine. Mm -hmm. He was trying to get it to continue to go without any outside force or energy, which ultimately became the roulette machine. That's the roulette wheel. <laughs> An attempt to, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to prove the, in a physical space that an object in motion wants to stay in motion using centrifugal force and that kind of thing. Can, can I create a force that, mm -hmm. that, constantly overcomes the force of friction or the air that's pushing against the force that wants to move. Um, force is going to be in motion unless another force acts against it. And, and, and he, Pascal said, I want to, I want to make a, a machine that moves. And that's where roulette came from. They decided to put some numbers they on some, it. They put, put some numbers on, on that it? thing and, and threw a ball on there, man. And, and and some of y'all have lost some good money <laughs> on, a, red. On, a, on a science experiment. That's what you did. That's what, you, that's what happened. So yeah. here's what happened, though. Things got worse in, Brit in Britain and England because these folks were gambling away their entire belongings, mm -hmm. their entire estates. And not only that, their names. Mm -hmm. Like they were lords or barons, and they'd say, hey, I'm going to gamble this away on this chance game. Yeah, and it's something that carried over uh, into Western culture in the United States, even though the folks that came over were Puritans and pilgrims, yeah. and folks who were supposedly morally and ethically um, on the right side of justice and God, and we know that's not always. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I wrote myself a note to remind myself to talk about you know these pilgrims, these Puritans, mm -hmm. and, and speak of their moral hypocrisy. Right. Um, yeah. But they wanted, you know, the, the, what they taught us in school is they came for freedom of religion, freedom of religion, freedom of religion. Well, I guess, but not really. They, they really came um, for political reasons, not necessarily faith reasons as such. Even though they had a different faith expression, mm -hmm. it was really about the politics of the Anglican Church and the King in England, more than it was about in, in other European nations, more than it was about um, uh, just wanting to practice their faith freely as Protestants. So, what what you see is this this claim of purity, Puritans, <laughs> um, pilgrim travelers, uh, but but rea in reality they bring the same kind of practices, the same kind of attitudes. Uh, Puritans owned slaves. You you know one yeah. of the great Puritan sermons, one of the most famous Puritan sermons is by a man named Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the, and the, and the story around is that he read it at night by candlelight and people were <laughs> literally crying out as he's describing hell. And oh, what a, what a pure and, and, and righteous and gospel-centered sermon. Well, he owned slaves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not that, not that anybody's perfect, but, but that's, 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 more than just not being perfect. Mm. Um, that's being oppressive. That is the opposite mm. of the gospel that you claim to be preaching. Um, and so we see that in many ways in, in Puritan lives, pilgrim uh, cultures, we see again how they um, come establish a sense of ownership uh, from those who are indigenous to these lands mm. and begin to take from them, uh, to, to afflict them, to to claim that they are savages and therefore they're, uh, they're, they have no right to the land on which they've been living uh, for millennia. And that, mm. that comes forward in the same way into this subject as well. Uh, those, those who claimed to be morally superior to the land that they left brought the same practices, including these games of chance. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to be petty here for a second. 
be one, petty. One of the early Puritans, his name was John Cotton. Mm-hmm. If your last name Cotton, yeah, right. we know we're going to have problems <laughs> yeah, with you. Yeah. And then uh, later on, Cotton Mather mm-hmm. is also a Puritan leader who um, extensively writes mm-hmm. about the black people in who are enslaved uh, in the United States. And he talks like they're dogs. Yeah. And this is a leader in the church. As a matter of fact, he's the progenitor of Harvard that we know today. Yep. Because he wrote curriculums that folks borrowed from him for Harvard, Yale, all those schools up there all started out as religious schools, institutions. All of the Ivy League schools started out as seminaries. Mm Mm-hmm. Pastor John, we can we can dig into this a whole lot, and and you know I love I love history and church history especially. So when you when you look at um, persons who were slave owners, the the abolitionists yep. were the Quakers. They were the the, the the guy on your oatmeal box. <laughs> that that's the one. The Quakers who were really called Shakers. Yeah. They were people who had a Inner Pentecostal life. experience with the spirit so they were not just bound to the letter of scripture they had spiritual experience with the author of the scripture <laughs> and and they had church and they were called shakers because they would like like we do <laughs> they would they would feel the spirit mm-hmm. they would they would feel that that ecstatic experience that sometimes comes with worship and they would shout they would they would quake they would they would shake uh, and those people find it so interesting to me that people who were strictly didactic, exactly. strictly um, cutting up scripture and its words, that they were the ones who were oppressive. And those who had a more robust spiritual experience, who believed scripture, who mm-hmm. taught scripture, who lived scripture, but also had engagement with the author of scripture, the Holy Spirit, they were the ones who said, that is evil. It insults the imago dei, the image of God in in humans, and those were the ones who were the first abolitionists in in the U.S. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that may be the case today it as well. It seems so <laughs> timely true, and relevant even now, even <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. So, in addition to folks coming over in Puritan and Pilgrim culture, what we see is. Um, this great awakening that happens that leads to that moral and ethical um, conversation around gambling and mm-hmm. lotteries. So mm-hmm. it was outlawed early on, just like alcohol, just mm-hmm. like marijuana, right? Outlawed early on. And then around 1823, uh, one of the first states to actually legalize gambling, this was during the expans- expansion westward when mm-hmm. we got the Louisiana Purchase was Louisiana, mm-hmm. which is why New Orleans is one of our gambling centers actually today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had these gambling halls as early as 1823, which in essence gave way to riverboat gambling. Yeah, because you can't regulate on the water as much as you can on land. And that was the that <laughs> was the that was the compromise mm-hmm. um, that you could gamble on the water. So they would do riverboat cruises, mm-hmm. um, and they would gamble on them, and then. If the ship was just in the water, it was off the land, and so they just started docking those ships. <laughs> and there's still some. I mean, you can still go uh, to areas now where you go to a docked ship uh, and play these games of chance and go gamble. And that's um, that that comes from a legal compromise. Mm-hmm. How can we do it without and still claim to be moral? Yeah, and, and you saw that even in states where gambling was legal, mm-hmm. I mean illegal, they would just go off on the water and do some gambling and come back. Put a boat on the river. You can do what you want to do. Right. So uh, what would happen is we'd see this gave way to an ebb and flow between gambling becoming illegal and legal uh, during the periods between the Civil War and the early 1900s. And most often during wartime, it's illegal. Why? Because there's an economic reality. We want y'all to pour money into this war that we are trying to fund. Mm -hmm. So we don't want y'all gambling, right? Yeah. Then in periods of success, give us that money. And, and, and then the earlier, um, some earlier historians speak about, uh, gambling being illegal so that among the ranks of soldiers, there's not tension and fighting and those kind of things. We don't need you all against one another. We need you against the enemy. It, it, it was a means 
of uh, it, it was for convenience and a means of uh, control in some ways mm-hmm. um, to outlaw it during times of war. But then, like you say, when when we loose and free, hey man, go down there, <laughs> roll them dice, and do what you want to do. Yeah, and then things began to pick up in the 1930s after the great crash of stock market. And we see Nevada mm-hmm. um, becoming one of the first states to make it legal again. And, and there were a couple of reasons why, which mm-hmm. are really interesting. First, uh, people were coming to Nevada to get divorced. Mm-hmm. They had some of the most lenient divorce laws. You only had to live there for six weeks mm-hmm. in order for you to get a divorce. So people would just get a hotel, live there for six weeks, get that divorce. And they were like, well... <laughs> while y'all are here. Right, right. What you going to do while you're here? Well, <laughs> you can drop some of that money off to yeah, us for, yeah. for, for nothing. <laughs> and the other thing is they were building the Hoover Dam, mm-hmm. and they had tons of construction workers mm-hmm. come in town to build a dam, and they needed to be entertained. Mm-hmm. So the state of Nevada said, all bets are off. Let's create this trip. They said all bets are off and all bets are on. That's what they <laughs> That's what they said. And, and, and – uh, John, you know, you, you think about that, the, that, that partnering of that idea of divorce and then entertainment and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it speaks to, again, the human condition, the human heart yeah. um, seeking pleasure above responsibility. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it was uh, that you used to have to prove you used to have a reason to get divorced. You had to prove some injury from the other party. Um, in order to get divorced. It wasn't just granted with a rubber stamp as like it is now. Um, and in fact, just, a, just an aside, the first state to allow for no-fault divorce was actually California. Mm-hmm. And the governor who signed it into law was Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yep. Ronald Reagan was the one who said, you ain't got to prove nothing. Or he approved the legislature's uh, law that says, you don't have to prove nothing. You just go down there if you if you don't like each other anymore for the day, mm. and you can just be divorced. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so there are several states now, and this is where people get into that gray territory because they're like, well, if I do it, it's going to support this, right? Mm. So there are several states now that have state-sponsored lottery systems. There are also multi-state-sponsored mm-hmm. lottery systems. And the proceeds go to education. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> they are supposed to go <laughs> to educational institutions, institutions yeah. and processes and scholarships and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah, and that's part of how they excuse putting together this system to put together a lottery system to uh, fund possibly other projects because everybody love the kids. Yeah, and and you know those 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 um, those lottery systems that cross state lines, Powerball, Mega Millions are the two major ones that we would all know. Um, these are states that come into agreements about what they um, what they will share and then what they will not share, and then the rules about mm. um, if you win, do you have to tell everybody who you are and that kind of thing vary from state to state. And so yeah. um, it, it's become, and then you have states within um, within uh, the nation that have just made it legal yeah. to gamble. I, I, when I grew up in Maryland, there was a lottery. You could play the numbers hmm. or you could go sit down and play a game called Keno, uh, <laughs> picking numbers. But now there are casinos all over Maryland. And here's what happened, Pastor John. What happened was, People in D.C., people in Maryland, people in Virginia would go up to um, Delaware to the racetracks because yep. you could gamble there. They had machines you could gamble there. Or they would go up to Atlantic City mm-hmm. uh, and you could gamble there um, or, or West Virginia. And so <laughs> Maryland state legislature said they're going anyway. <laughs> Why are you taking our money just away? Bring, just keep that money on in here. <laughs> just just come on across the street instead of taking the, across the state, state line. Yeah. Uh, and that was a major fight for a long time in the state of Maryland. So, I, you know, you, you see it now. There's an MGM in, in PG County, Oxon Hill, mm-hmm. the, what was the hood when I was growing up. Uh, I graduated from Oxon Hill High School. They, they're in Arundel Mills, Annapolis, which is a much more on the way to Baltimore, yeah. much more uh, well-to-do kind of thing. So it's, it's everywhere. It's pervasive, um, and, and, and it's illegal. Yeah. But, but what's the real question? And, and here's why it's important, because um, statistics have borne this out. There are at least 2 million people living in America with a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. 
they are addicted to gambling. Yeah. And there is research that shows that there are neural issues that go on in your brain as you're gambling as an addict. Mm -hmm. This is why when you show up in Vegas, you see people sitting there looking like zombies. They look like zombies, yeah. Just pulling the slots Mm -hmm. or gambling at the roulette table Mm -hmm. because there's an addictive quality to it. And here's the unfortunate thing. The highest uh, incidence of this type of addiction is in the Native American community. Yeah. In yeah. America. Yeah. Um, and that that tells a sordid story of our past and the current Native American context and how they are dealing with it, not only gambling, but also alcoholism. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it, it, it becomes, you know, you, you see it um, so often in multiple areas of life, but in particular in this one, and the psychology mm-hmm. of the casino setup. There are bells dinging all the time. Ding, 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 ding. All you hear is bells, and you hear the sound of chips falling, and ain't nobody winning nothing. <laughs> it just sounds like winning is going on. Somebody winning something in there, my brain. That's why there are no windows, mm-hmm. so that you can't see you've been here all night and the sun is coming up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They, 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 the, these environments are set up to keep you. They will bring you, I'm told, a watered-down drink to your table. And just to keep you, hey, you don't even have to get it from the table to get the drink. If yeah. they could find a way to let you go to the bathroom in that chair, I, I guarantee they would. They just want you to stay right. Stay. We will do everything else. You stay right here and, and keep putting your money in that machine. And it may, it may pay off. It might, it might hit it may, any moment now. Um, yeah. uh, and and that, that environment creates for some unfortunately, um, an environment that that facilitates an addiction. And that's the tragedy of it. Yeah. Okay, P, you got some folks who now going on Southwest and Delta <laughs> and United and American and canceling these flights. You got them nervous. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the biblical um, case around gambling and understand what Scripture says about it. And, again, it's not black and white. Mm-mm. You're not going to see casinos Mm-mm. in the Bible. Yeah. Again, we talked about it with marijuana in our last episode. I cannot say that the Bible says thou shalt not play poker. <laughs> I can't say the Bible says do not as to play as the lottery if or else thy song if is in danger. If. That's not that's not anywhere in the Bible. Nope. And so don't misunderstand us as we talk about some of the potential ills and addictions of this. Again, we're, we're not saying that the Bible explicitly says it's a sin. That's not what we're saying at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're really talking about the impact that it could have on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a heart issue for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So let's look at uh, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Again, this is in the wisdom literature. And um, Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle mm-hmm. but whoever gathers little by little will increase it now that word for hastily actually means vapor mm-hmm. it means something that looks like it's there but it's going to go away you'll see it in ecclesiastes in the opening chapter mm-hmm. where he says vanity of vanities that really means vapor mm-hmm. um talk about it being a vapor so he's saying that wealth that's gained in that way is tends to be vapor it's driven. it's not even real so mm. I, you know and i don't have the statistics in front of me uh, but it's easy to see persons who have hit the lottery they've hit for those millions that you want to hit for <laughs> yeah and within a year or two they're back to being broke and probably broke with some addictions there there are people mm-hmm. who are not addicted to substances prior to winning the lottery that then win the lottery and become addicted to drugs yeah or alcohol um because the real truth is not how much money you have, yeah. but how do you manage the money you have? Yeah. That, that's the real issue. And what Proverbs, this, this verse literally bears its way out in lottery winners who do not, they never learn to manage money. Mm. So you can give them $20 million, but I can't manage the 20. I won't be able to manage the 20 million. Yeah. Um, so, you know, money is not. More money 
is not always the answer or not the only answer to much of what you think you need. Now, listen, all of us would like to make more money. <laughs> all of us would like to have more money. I'm not telling you that's, I'm not telling you that's a bad thing. What, what this verse is saying is learn to be mm-hmm. diligent and productive. Yeah. And if you are diligent and productive, then it might not happen right away, but it will happen. You will increase you will grow your assets, your 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 money, um, and and that that the lottery is not going to make you a better steward. Yeah. If and if I just had more money, I'd I I hear it all the time. Pastor, I would give if I had more money. No, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you you won't. find something else. Because because you know it's not how much money you make; it's how much money you spend. That's that vapor, right? Mm-hmm. So it also this verse, the second half of the verse, especially, uh, really drives home this point that you really value. Um, more what you work for yeah that when you really work for something Mm -hmm. there's a value in there that's more intrinsic than getting it hastily right Mm -hmm. i think about myself as a kid like my mom gave me a car Mm. when i was in 10th grade oh my and i was like i was the man (laughs) but oil changes wasn't my thing right 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 i I treated that car like trash Mm -hmm. but today <laughs> with the with a car note? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. I'm gonna take care of it. That's what this verse is talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hastily got a car in tenth grade and I didn't understand its value. Mm-hmm. Now that I work little by little for what I got, mm-hmm. I'm gonna take care of that thing. Pastor John, it's that old it's the old joke. Um that when your mama says, turn off these lights. <laughs> like, why? I just left it on for 30 seconds. They come behind and turn. I go behind and turn off the lights because <laughs> I know what it is to pay that electric bill. Listen, y'all, I got three and a half jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. Man, uh, listen, you leave that door open for five seconds. You letting all my air out all of the house. My, you trying to cool the whole neighborhood. <laughs> but but, but in, in a serious way, you know, work is worship. Mm-hmm. Productivity is is worship, um, and what this verse is advocating for is if your intent is to build a comfortable economic life for yourself, then it's better to do it little by little to grow into that place than it is to be thrust into it um, hastily. And and some translations even translate that verse by fraud. Because yeah. it's it's phony, it's fake. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So let's look also at Ecclesiastes. We talked about Ecclesiastes, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to talk about uh, this teacher in Ecclesiastes that shows up in the first chapter, but um, the author here is recounting this person's words. Now that preacher, some people would say, is Solomon, mm-hmm. uh, but he opens uh, Ecclesiastes talking about vanity of vanities. Mm-hmm. He talk about this vapor. And he goes through, talks about the things in life that are vapor. And mm-hmm. that's why we get where we get chapter three. There's a time and season for everything. He lays out these paradoxes mm-hmm. in life. There are things that happen and you think you're good. And then something else happens. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's this vanity of vanities that's happening. And I, I want to drive home that vanity yeah. concept of Ecclesiastes because of what it what it really means is worthless. Hmm. Um, he's not talking about vanity in the sense that you'd like to look yourself in the mirror, look at yourself in the mirror. He's talking about the worthlessness of life. What is the point? Hmm. If, 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 if everything happens to everybody at some point, what's the point hmm. is really what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And yeah. he's going to get to it at the end, yeah. uh, which is that like, and he uses a phrase under the sun, under the sun, that is speaking about life without considering God's presence and mm. develop uh, d- devotion to God. He's going to end it by saying, "All of these things are 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 solved. Meaning is found. Life mm. becomes worth something when you have a relationship with your Creator." Yeah. yeah, and that's what he's saying. He's saying finding meaning in anything apart from God is just a vapor. It's gonna, it's gonna, you you will not be able to hold on to it. Yeah, and that's what we see here in uh, chapter five, mm-hmm. and we're gonna look at verses. 10 through 12. Yeah. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his, with his income. This is also his vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Mm-hmm. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Mm. Sweet 
is the sleep of a laborer. My God. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Listen, rich people lose sleep. Oh, listen. I, here's the thing about this <laughs> verse. Here's the thing about this verse. Um, it was a great prophetic poet mm. who once declared, more money, more problems. More problems. <laughs> um, and, and that's... That's the same. Yeah. That's the same idea of this of these verses. Yeah. Listen, when wealth increases, when goods increase, listen to that. The people who are going to pull on you are going to increase. Gonna go up. Again, lottery winners, athletes who sign contracts, um, people who become known to be wealthy, start getting cousins from everywhere. <laughs> hey, cuz, I ain't seen you. I remember when you were a little boy. You know, the, people start pulling on you because they think you got it mm. or they know that you got it. And and that the sense of entitlement of people to your goods, your wealth, your money mm. um, becomes one of those things that that takes sleep away from you. Yeah. Then the worry about maintaining or increasing your money, your, your portfolio, your wealth, um, worrying about who is managing it and can I trust them. And you, you, we've seen um, athletes or, or actors who have trusted accountants and then they mess up their taxes, taxes and now they're in jail. I mean, go, mm. goodness gracious, there, there's so many things to worry about yeah. um, when wealth is the only goal you have. Yeah. And when we think about people like Jeff Bezos mm. and Steve Jobs, I think they all would attest to the fact that what got you there is what's needed to keep you there. Mm -hmm. And that's why they stay up at night because they work so hard to get where they are. Mm -hmm. But then in order to continue to maintain or increase that wealth, mm -hmm. they have to continue to do that. And that's what this passage is really about. I can't sleep because that's what I'm all I'm thinking about. Yeah. There's, there's a lack of contentment there, and there's an addiction mm -hmm. to success right. that drives these men. That's why they're racing the space. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. So, oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, John, that, that that phrase, again, which is the refrain throughout Ecclesiastes, the thread throughout it, this is also vanity. It is worthless. Now, God is not anti-money. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mind you having money. He minds money having you. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we, we do know that the New Testament has some things to say about mm -hmm. money and also um, some things about unhealthy relationships with money. And we're going to look at a text here in Matthew. And I think you preached on this uh, yeah. when we I, were going through Mark. Mm -hmm. And I teach on it when I teach uh, our stewardship lessons um, I have a lesson that I teach from time to time called the 10 Simple Princi Principles of Stewardship, uh, and this is one of the parts of it. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at uh, Matthew 6, and I'll start in 24 and go through 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gain it, gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm-hmm. Powerful passage on yeah. uh, not just stewardship, but also trusting and having faith in the one who will provide for us. It's, and so many pictures yeah, there. It's, it's a heart issue at core. Mm-hmm. Jesus says three times, I have it underlined in my Bible, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Whenever something is repeated, it's for emphasis. Each of those should have three or four or five exclamation points behind it. Mm -hmm. The idea is what is happening inside of you when you think about getting your needs met? That's the real issue. When you think about paying your bills, when you think about sending your kids to college, when you think about retirement, what kind of internal feeling what happens in your stomach Mm. is 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 it worry is it does do you get that sick feeling do you have that foreboding like oh my goodness it's not going to work it's not going to happen jesus says that's you you see money wrong Mm. Mm. you see resources wrong if that thing is happening inside of you what he's trying to get you to do is to when you think about those things, when you consider those things, nothing is happening. <laughs> no tension, n- no nerve endings firing up, no cortisol being released in adrenaline. <laughs> Not just that you are at ease knowing that whatever needs arise, your heavenly Father mm. has already promised and made a way to meet those needs. And this goes back to the picture in Genesis, right? He uses creation mm-hmm. to say, listen, these things that were created in the first five days, mm-hmm. I got them. How much more mm-hmm. are the ones that I created called very good in mm-hmm. chapter six, created in my image? Mm-hmm. Am I going to take care of them? Yeah. How much more am I going to take care of them? The lilies and the birds are good. Mm-hmm. This is why you don't need to be anxious because you have more value. Than you them. have more value. You bear the image of God. Mm. They are products of God's imagination we have the distinction of being the product of God's imagination and bearing his image. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why Jesus says in the verses that precede the ones we read, we didn't read them, he yeah. says, uh, that's why you don't lay up your treasures on earth because um, moth can come, come in and, and eat up your clothes and thieves can come in and take your stuff, but lay up your treasures in heaven. Put what you value. Hmm. Demonstrate that you value, again, the eternal things that really matter. Hmm. Demonstrate that economically, financially, and of course, with your time and attention and effort. That's, that's, that's what verse 33 is. Put your time, attention, and effort. Spend that energy that you're wasting worrying mm-hmm. on seeking the kingdom. And one of the natural outcomes of worrying for some people is seeking what that verse in Proverbs tells us. Mm-hmm. Let me get a quick fix yep. for my financial problems. Mm-hmm. Listen, y'all, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It is. <laughs> it probably mm-hmm. is. And that's what we we need to realize as believers that uh, we have to be able to trust trust God ultimately, but mm-hmm. also check our hearts mm-hmm. because that's what verse number twenty four says. Hey, there are two options: mm-hmm. you're either going to serve God mm-hmm. or you're going to serve money. Or King James says, "Mammon." Mm-hmm. So, so how do we help people unpack some of the financial anxiety they have when? They may be unemployed or they may be underemployed and feel frustrated and that there are things out there that are enticing to them for that quick fix. Yeah. And that's the, you know, the, 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 the tension of what we're claiming now, John, we're, we're being very, very um, um, matter of factly. And we need to include in this discussion that there are systems of inequity yeah. that produce poverty in some ways and, and for certain segments of the population, redlining of neighborhoods, um, underfunded schools, undervalued homes. Um, you go in and see black faces on the wall, um, and it's $100,000. You see white faces on the wall, that same house, same everything is $250,000. Those kinds of incidents that we see all the time mm-hmm. everywhere uh, are a part of what can make us anxious. Mm-hmm. 
um, we, we, we cannot dismiss. I, we don't want to be dismissive of that. Um, that, that, you know, and I don't want to be political, but, but the fact that the, the numbers say that you can't have an apartment anywhere in this country by just working a full-time job making minimum wage. Yeah. You can't do it. Something needs to be subsidized in order for you to have an apartment in this country. Uh, so um, th- those factors are real. Yeah, they're they're not they're not figments of your imagination. There there are things that can produce those inequities, create those questions, deal in your life with 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 uh, uh, give you give you pause about how you're going to make it. Mm. What Jesus is saying in Matthew, who he's talking to, mm. are people in his day just like you, just like you, yeah, who are in that same place of social economic inequity of people who are impoverished purposely. Hmm. That's who he's talking to. And he wants them to know because the systems undervalue them. They undervalue their, their, their humanity. They undervalue their work. Uh, They undervalue their, their contribution to the society. Jesus says, your father will take care of you. Hmm. Hmm. Your father will take care of you and and we we must as believers as as those who are um people who are to live out the ministry of the lord jesus christ we must speak to about and against those systems we must advocate for the poor um not just do charity but we got to challenge the systems that make charity necessary Uh, we got to do those things but as we're fighting <laughs> and as we're 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 uh, calling um people to account and as we're speaking truth to power to create equity in in our world and in, in our nation and in our neighborhoods and in uh people's um uh, job uh, in the job markets as we're doing that he says just don't worry your father will yeah let's take good. care of you that's good yeah that's good, good. and therefore I am not to see the casino as my source mm. or the Powerball as my source. That's not the way it's going to happen because even if you hit, you might hit. There's a chance you'll hit even if you do, though. It's a vapor. Vapor. Yeah, it's a vapor. Yep. It's yep. a vapor. And, and, and Jesus says, I got something concrete for you. Mm. Mm. I got something you can hold on to. That's good. That's good. Let's take a look at First Timothy here. Mm-hmm. Um, as we look at our last couple of passages, and I'm hoping this is helping people. I feel the Holy Ghost, John, and I'm mm-hmm. trying not to act up. First Timothy six, and this is uh, Paul's closing words to Timothy after he's given them instructions, and he says. Uh, teach and urge these things. Uh, that's verse 2, the end of verse 2. Mm-hmm. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Mm-hmm. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for <laughs> quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. This Paul <laughs> could write this about Facebook and Twitter. This is the This is the exact social media verse. <laughs> reality that you see on mm-hmm. social media every day, even among so-called theologians and preachers and pastors and things like that, people who are puffed up with conceit, mm-hmm. who really don't have an understanding themselves and they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. Goodness gracious. Ooh. Paul what, must have been reading your timeline because that's that's what happens <laughs> that's exactly. on social media 98% wow. of the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he says that godliness is a means of gain. Mm-hmm. And he makes a contrast. But godliness with contentment mm-hmm. is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, Mm -hmm. 
is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We, man, I want to do. I want to do a whole season on those verses. Mm. A whole season of podcast on those verses. Listen, yeah. Yeah. what what Paul is getting to is what we see. I mean, prevalent in his day, prevalent in our day. People think that money is going to give them that sense of fulfillment that can only come from God. Yeah. Godliness with contentment mm-hmm. is great gain, and and. And again, he's not arguing against money. And I like I, I like the ESV here because King James translation, you know, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. He's saying all kinds of evil, that, kinds. that people who love money are willing to do anything to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. Um, and, and, and that craving pulls people away from the faith. This is what attracts them to prosperity preachers and teachers. This mm-hmm. is what attracts people to... Um, um, those who stepped outside of the Christian faith and have become um, um, uh, soothsayers of, mm. of a new order, you know, for horoscope and, and those kinds of things yeah. that, that are going to promise the money. Uh, when you see even um, horoscopes, sometimes they give you your lucky numbers for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That yep. kind of thing. Um, and people are willing, some people, unfortunately, are willing to go to and through any means, natural or what they perceive to be supernatural mm. just to get money and it never satisfies. Yeah. And here's here's what that says at the end there when it talks about wandering away because when money becomes your source mm-hmm. then you don't need God as a resource mm-hmm. in your mind. Mm-hmm. So th- at that point you walk away from the faith because this becomes not just your source but it becomes an idol in your life. Yeah. And and it, one of the sad realities is um some people sit in a pew every Sunday mm-hmm. under the guise and in the self-deception that they're worshiping God Yeah. when what they're really worshiping is an idol. Because if your week is spent mm. solely or chiefly in the pursuit of money, yeah. then that's your God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So let's, let's shift here in the last five minutes or so. And really talk about the dice that we need to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in John's gospel, and it happens in the other gospels, but I really want to hone in on this particular instance where John recounts it. And Jesus has just been delivered over to Pontius Pilate. It's funny because... <laughs> When Pontius wants to, or Pilate wants to release him, mm-hmm. the Jews appeal to Caesar. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, you're not going to be friends with Caesar if you let this guy go. Right. Right. And he says, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Oh, my Ooh. goodness. Those words for a Jew. They are the height of heresy. They're the height of heresy. And we've, we've taught on this before, but let me, let me, let me run through re- very quickly. Yeah. The law in Rome mm-hmm. said to say Caesar is Lord yeah. is the only acceptable use of that phrase. Whenever Paul writes Jesus is Lord, he is engaging in an act of civil disobedience and resistance. Mm-hmm. But the Jews wouldn't say it because yeah. God was their king and they were waiting on their Messiah king, the seed of David to show up, overthrow Rome, and put them back in political and military power as a physical nation again. Messiah shows up. He's not showing up with swords. <laughs> He's showing up with words, with spirit, mm. um, and, and proclaiming that they must repent and come back to God, and ultimately to die and rise. And they, in order to facilitate this death, yeah. blaspheme mm-hmm. according to their own tradition, they speak blasphemy by saying we have no king but Caesar. Yeah, and just to get him crucified, mm-hmm. right? So that's where we see in verse number 16, second part, it says that, so they took Jesus. This is chapter 19, verse 16. And he went out bearing his own Christ cross on the place called the place of a skull, which is an Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription 
and put it on the cross, it reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Now, let me pause there, because John is the book of signs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what we're seeing here in this first one, because this is... <laughs> This first one, the languages here that are, that, are, that are included here are the languages in the known world. The known, the, the principal languages in the known world. One of the things you got to get in your mind when you think about the cross of Jesus Christ, you know, they depict it on a hill, and it is, mm -hmm. but you have to see that it is on a busy road. Yeah. Think of a highway. Yeah. In fact, one of the sites that claims to be Golgotha or, or Calvary there's still a road there where buses pass by. You go to it and you hear buses honking and people talking. That's where they were. The point of putting it out there was for the sake of everyone seeing this is what happens when you challenge the power of Rome. Mm. And so it's to, it's to make a show of a person. It's to make a shame of a person. And he writes it in these three languages. And again, Pilate doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But he's doing it again because he wants to appease Caesar. He's, Pilate is a vassal king. He's set up by Caesar. He's not really a king. He's, he's really an underling. So he wants to please Caesar. So he wants everyone to see that the one who they claim to be king of the Jews, the one who himself claimed to be king of the Jews, ain't mm -hmm. the king of the Jews. This is what we do to people that think they're kings. We put them on crosses. Right. And it was meant to mock him, it right? It was meant to mock him. That's and why it's in those languages. So everybody can walk by and read, and read it, it and say, oh, no, yeah, we won't. We, king, king Caesar's the only real king. And and the Jews get upset. Now they're getting all Jewish. Mm -hmm. now, Before. Right. right. No, 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 no. They were real, <laughs> Caesar, they were real Roman a minute ago. <laughs> now they're getting real Jewish here. Mm -hmm. So the chief priest said, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, mm -hmm. I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. He said, I said what I said. <laughs> said what I said. Now, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, mm -hmm. woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to each other, listen, let us not tear it, but cast lot. Let's throw some dice. Let's roll some dice. For it to see whose it shall be this is to fulfill scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots now this garment was meant to mock him mm -hmm. so here in this text we see two things that were meant to mock him but they turned out to be messages about his divinity yeah yeah they in in their attempt to shame jesus they were actually verifying his claims mm -hmm. Both, both with the sign that he is the king of the Jews, and with the this is a purple royal robe that they draped on him after they beat him up, as they were beating him up, putting the crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hand, a, 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 just a stick in his hand, pretending it was a scepter, and then they they mockingly bowed before him. Mm. But what they don't know is there's going to come a day they they bowed before when they mocked him. Yes, sir. Um, but they're going to bow again. And they're going to have to admit that the the people that mocked Jesus mm. are going to have to declare that he is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee shall bow, Paul says, and every tongue shall confess. Yeah, yeah. So what we see in these dice is that these soldiers had turned to chance mm -hmm. to get the robe, but that dice actually pointed to Christ. It was the fulfillment of Scripture. Mm. And that is the that one of the great realities of messianic proof one of the things we hang our hats on as believers for jesus being exactly who he said he is is that 333 old testament prophecies are fulfilled by the life and work of the lord jesus christ it is a statistical impossibility you're talking about gambling <laughs> it is a statistical impossibility there is no chance yeah. for coincidence to create that kind of alignment with old testament prediction and prophecy Yet Jesus fulfills all of them to show that God didn't leave anything up to chance. Mm -hmm. He foreordained and preordained and then by his power providentially facilitated, even using the evil of men, the redemptive plan that would work out through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's where we land on this in terms of takeaways. We, we don't want you guys to fall into this category and want to make sure that you're aware of this. 
you don't need to let what was intended for recreation to become an infatuation mm-hmm. for you. That's that's what this addictive behavior can become in terms of gambling. Again, you know, we talked about playing for fun fantasy games with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an addictive quality to this that leads to you trusting in the money more than you trust in the God behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we want to make sure people understand that this recreational thing, mm-hmm. again, same way with marijuana and other mm-hmm. things, it can't be an infatuation for you or an addiction. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is check your heart. Why are you gambling? Why are you gambling? Are you doing it because it's fun, you enjoy it, and, and, and you've paid your bills and your tithes and, and set up for your retirement and, and fed your babies and put some away for their college fund and then with the $5 you have left, <laughs> yeah. you, go, you, go, you go pull a slot. If, if, if that's the case, then then. I cannot tell you that's a sin. But if you're saying, I can't pay my bills, I can't retire, I can't send my kids to college, I can't put food on the table, and so I'm going to go to the casino and try to make it up, Hmm. or I can't pay all these credit cards off, and so I'm waiting on the number to hit so I can, I, I need my horse to win. If that's the reason, then that is sin because you're trusting in something. You're serving it. You're worshiping it more than the Lord Jesus Christ and more than uh, God in, in, his eternal, um, in his eternal goodness to provide for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, we want to really make that distinction clear that, that the purpose of your activity, um, why you're doing it, has to be in the forefront of your mind. And, again, it's about, John, and, and we're over time, but I'm, I need to nail this down for him. It's about Christian conscience. Mm-hmm. In your conscience, if you sneak into the casino and pop your collar up and put on sunglasses um, because you're ashamed, then don't go gamble. Mm -hmm. But if it's a recreational activity, you do it with friends, you have fun, then hey, have at it. Mm -hmm. Enjoy yourself within reason and being responsible. Yeah, that's good. And that's what the, I think the main verse of what we mentioned in Matthew 6 is really all about, that we really don't need to leave to chance Mm -hmm. what it is that we need to entrust to Christ. And that's the overarching truth that we really want to leave with you all, that um, this whole idea that we've been talking about every episode, why settle for this Mm -hmm. when there's something, someone far better that you can trust the God of the universe who owns the cattle on the thousand hills and knows all your needs, trust him. Mm-hmm. Trust him in that process. Yeah, and, and you know, we, and learning contentment. Yeah. We didn't read it, but I want you to write down um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, where Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I've learned how to have money. I've learned how to be broke. I've learned how to ride high. I've learned how to ride low. I can sit in first class, and I can catch the Greyhound bus. Whatever it is, Mm. I've learned to be content, literally independent of the circumstances around me. My inner peace, my inner sense of value, my inner life is not impacted by my circumstance economically. And and that's where you got to get to. That's that's the idea is trusting God fully. And it's easier said than done, John, when, when the bills are high and the money's low. I get it. I get it. Easier said than done. But that is the exhortation. That is what we are praying and, and encouraging uh, you to grow into. Mm. Well, that's been episode eight of the Grow Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. We're grateful for you guys joining us. We ask you to do a couple of things for us. Go rate, review the podcast at any platform that you may have. Also join our Grow Factor family on our Grow Factor group in Facebook. It's a growing, burgeoning community. We'd love for you to join us. However you're joining us or however you're going to stick with us, we got another episode coming up. Next episode, we're going to be, we're not going to ruin your Halloween, I don't think, but we might just a little bit. So (laughs) so we're going to talk about Halloween and other holidays and how you can celebrate them in Christ. Yeah. This has been The Growth Factor a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group. 
The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.